Good to see you all this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm on the elder team here at Hall Center Church and on the preaching team. In case you didn't know, six months from yesterday is Christmas. So, um... I can't figure out if that's depressing or not. I think it is. Um, but yeah, you better get shopping. Um, I also want to make sure we acknowledge James. This is his last Sunday with us. He's stepping on a new chapter in his life. So as his church family, can we just say we love him? And we do. We love you. And I hope you come back to visit us. Don't take your sister with you. Right? No? You're staying? Good. Um, thrilled and hopeful for your next season. Uh, excited about that. All right. Online is great. We love it. Absolutely love it. We are going to start the book of Colossians today. And if you're sitting here and you did not grab one of these books and you would like one, they're back there on the table. Feel free to get up and grab one. This is the ESV study journal. I promised Kyle I'd get him one. He walked in without one, so he gets that one. Um, really just an opportunity for you to um, make this book your own, uh, to spend some time with it on your own. Take notes while I'm preaching, sure, but... It is, and if you haven't done it, it is freeing to be able to see the Word of God on paper you can write on, and you can write your questions and your thoughts, and something that you want to, and as you read, you'll find that as you read through and as you continue coming to church and, and you go back and look through your questions, you'll see a bunch of them answered. It's a pretty wild thing. So I would challenge you to go ahead and grab one of those. We got 75 of them here today. I posted a link on the community page if you want to buy uh, one or some of your own. Um, you're going to get me for a few weeks here. David's on vacation, and then we're loaning him out to some camps to, to work with kids. And, and I'm so excited that we can loan our guys out to these other ministries. It's just so exciting. And it also means I get to do the first few in Colossians, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, and so today, we're just going to read the first couple, ver we're going to go into the first couple of verses of the book, and the sermon title today is Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. So can you think of a word that used to mean something, and now it means something very different? Think of a word that means something, it used to mean something, and now it means something very different. And so by way of getting your minds into that thought process, what would you think if I called you a Nimrod? Okay, where's that word come from? Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah. Genesis 10, 8, and 9 says this. Listen, Genesis 10, 8, and 9. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
Check it out. Genesis 10, 8 and 9. And so if I were to say, well, who are some mighty hunters? We'll call them Nimrods that I know. <laughs> Gary O is a great Nimrod. He is. You might say, well, I'm a better Nimrod than Gary, and that's okay. You can be a better and greater Nimrod than Gary. David Fry, he's not here. Sad. But he's kind of like a junior Nimrod. <laughs> we'll say a Nimrod apprentice. Nimrod wannabe, maybe. John Robertson, he would be a Nimrod, but with a lowercase n. Not, <laughs> not the uppercase n that Gary would have. Okay, so, all right, fun. But where on earth did we get the idea that this Man whose name was associated with mighty warrior all of a sudden became something that would pretty much in our day refer to someone as an idiot. And you're like, how do we do that? Well, just the name's weird. No, it's not just that the name's weird. It's Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes did this to us. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's due to Daffy Duck, and I believe it was 1940, referring to Elmer Fudd as Nimrod sarcastically, making fun of his hunting abilities. And children didn't understand the biblical reference. They obviously didn't attend Hall Center Church. <laughs> and they assumed it meant idiot because when you watch the cartoon, Elmer Fudd is always bumbling and not doing his thing. There you go. Make sure that's in your notes, kids. And you and I both know there are a lot better references in the Bible if we wanted to call someone an idiot. We see it, plenty of characters in the Bible would be able to do that. Nimrod is the complete opposite of how it's actually been referred. And so that's why I've titled it Mistaken Identity. It's not the only time Looney Tunes changed the meaning of a word. Acme used to mean pinnacle, top. It's from the Greek for highest point. In English, Acme actually usually means the peak of perfection. But when Wile E. Coyote ordered his stuff from Acme and none of it worked, all of a sudden, it changed the game entirely on that word. Thank you, Looney Tunes. And so Jeff gave us, this, gave us a hint earlier. We're going to see another word that's changed in meaning drastically as we finish up the sermon today. But for starters, I want to make sure we set our minds foundationally on this idea that we own this and that we hang on to this throughout our conversation, our time today. We are not special because we're great people. We are special because of the gospel. And boy, when you sit and you look at this, you're like, well, yeah, the Bible said. No, but we don't live like this. We live like there is something inherent in me that's special, that you should like me, that you should honor me, that you should treat me well, whatever. We're not special because we're great. We're special because of the gospel. We're special because God's great. And when I say the gospel, if you're here today and you do not understand when I use the word gospel, I'm going to talk about it a couple times. The gospel simply stated is God created this world, he put us in it, and he loved us. We chose to not follow him. 
And we said, you know what? We want to be smarter than you. We want to go our own way. If you can't see that in your own life, uh, just look a little harder. And so man rebelled against God in the worst way possible and just left him. And what God did through history and as detailed in his word is he made a way for those people that deserve judgment, that rejected God, to be returned to a relationship with him. And that's by sending Jesus to die on a cross for you, for me, for everyone, and those that put their trust in him and not themselves will spend eternity with him. So much hope in that. And God loves you. This is, we're, boy, we're going to talk about some false teachings and whatnot, but the I, God loves you just the way you are. If it's about you, it's a rough time. But God loves you just as you are, not as you should be because of him, not because of you. And so, and yet in this world, and this is where we're going to kind of go today, we allow so many other things to influence us even more than the gospel. It could be our friends, it could be our culture, it could be politics. We begin to believe that we're special for any other reason than God sent, came to earth and gave himself up for us. And so Paul is keen to make sure that we understand in his letter to the Colossian church that Jesus is what matters. And the gospel, which is Jesus' life for mine, is not to be mixed up, added to, or changed so that it isn't recognizable anymore. Like the word Nimrod. Okay, so let's dive in and do a quick overview of the church and the letter that Paul wrote. And, and then we're going to see how Paul is going to develop this. So the place, Colossae. Try and get through this so you get a general understanding of where Paul's writing. So Paul did not start this church he's writing to. He's writing to a church. He didn't start it. Epaphras is a guy that started it, and he's a disciple of Paul's. It was in Turkey. It's 120 miles from Ephesus. And J.B. Lightfoot says this about the church at Colossae. He says, Colossae was the least important church to which any epistle of St. Paul was addressed. And so Colossae was on a downturn. It hadn't always been an insignificant city. It was the most important city in the area three or four hundred years before Jesus showed up. It had a massive textile industry. Um, there was a certain kind of dark wool known as Colossian wool. But the reason that Colossae was great and had so many people in it is it was at the intersection of two really well-traveled highways. One ran east and west, and I think it's west to Ephesus, and then one went north and south, and so it was at this juncture. Well, the north and south road got moved west, and Colossae kind of faded out and began to decline. And so in Paul's day, it wasn't as large or important as the cities that were around it, like Laodicea. And it still, to this day, hasn't been excavated, interestingly enough. But this is cool for us to hear in Hollis, right? We used to have a railroad. Simple point. I love the fact that Paul is writing to a small group of believers in a place that doesn't have a lot of cultural significance, and he's trying to help them. I'd love it that it does. they don't have to be this huge church in Rome 
or even Ephesus, it's a small church, struggling, the economy's rough, and Paul still takes the time to write it. And so I'm going to tell you, as I've been reading commentaries and, 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 and hearing what people say about the, the book, why is he writing it? I'm going to tell you that my best guess is that Epaphras came to Paul and said, Paul, you are not going to believe what's going on in this church. And we're going to see what Paul's dealing with. I believe Epaphras came to Paul and said, I need some help. I need some help. I've got folks coming in, and I think they're, I think they're leading people astray, and I don't really have good answers for them. And you say, well, why wouldn't he have good answers? Guess what? He didn't have the New Testament. Okay? So he didn't have the wealth of teaching that you and I get to sit under. And so I would challenge you, take your, 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 your journal and read it and see if that fits. In any case, Paul is writing to this church to combat a danger. And the danger is new teaching. That's the danger that this letter is written for. And so we only know one side, right? We only know Paul's side. Paul is combating the danger. We, we don't have much from the community and the church that he's writing to. But when you read his letter, you can see what he was teaching against. And it appears that the new teachers were teaching a number of things. Just let, let them kind of wash over you as you hear what it sounds like Paul is writing against. First, these new teachers offered this extra special spiritual fullness that you couldn't get without what they said. They also spoke of a, a new spiritual freedom for those that followed them. They claim to have a particular insight into evil and how to give believers special protection from evil. Interestingly, these teachers were known for their impressive self-discipline. They liked fasting. They even liked forcing it on people that they must fast. It seems to have been highly commended, if not even commanded. Teachers also offered a further initiation into a deeper knowledge of God, a greater experience of him. They also considered themselves to be superior to or even critical of ordinary believers. And so I don't want you, you can turn there if you want in your books, but I just want you to hear what Paul says in Colossians 2.16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. This is what Paul says. Those are all food, Sabbaths, sounds important. Paul said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the last thing we see from these new teachers is they were divisive. They didn't promote unity. And that is one way, it's pretty easy to tell. Um, false teachers. And so Dick Lucas is the writer of a commentary on Colossians for John Stott's Bible Speaks Today series. Again, I commend it to you. And this is what he says. He says, the false teachers came in with the claim that they would complete and perfect the simple and elementary faith to which the Colossians had been introduced by Paul and his friends. Continuing, this is what the false teachers always do. What you have is quite all right and a good foundation for faith. Now, let's just finish it off for you and you'll really be Christians. Okay? And so, you do not have to look far 
in today's world to see in the culture and the world of relativism and believe whatever you want and whatever, that, well, yeah, okay, got it, You're, you follow Jesus, and then there's all this other great stuff too. And Paul is just going to punch that in the throat in this book. And so I challenge you to, to, to be ready for a challenge that it needs to be all about Jesus, because that's the message. The message of the book, Jesus. The simple gospel. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this in the first chapter. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, look, I'm the worst of all sinners. Jesus came for me. Wow. And it's about what Jesus has done, not what Paul has done. We're going to see that a little bit more in just a second. We are not the object of our faith. Jesus is. And so often, however, it looks like we are the object of our faith. And so it would be difficult to do any overview of Colossians and not make sure we camp just for a minute on Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. If you got the ESV journal, you have your Bible, turn to Colossians 1. I didn't put it up here because I want you to read it. I want you to see it. I want you to, I want it to kind of own you. This is Paul's, and we're going to get here in a couple weeks, and I'm excited already to preach it, even though I have no idea what my notes are going to look like or whether I'm going to make fun of Uncle John or not, but I'm, you can put your money down, probably will. Um... This is what Paul says about Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, close your eyes and listen to this. This is what Paul says, talking about Jesus, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hopefully you're getting the breadth of this. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And God's people said, oh, isn't that beautiful? There's this conversation of whether or not Paul actually wrote this or whether he was taking it from what someone else had written. In any case, he puts it in his letter to Colossae, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. This, Jesus, is the object of our faith. He is what matters. And the value of our faith is based on the object of our faith. The object of our faith matters. Tim Keller illustrates it this way. He says, if there are two people on a plane, one passenger is afraid of flying and thinks the plane will go down at every bump. And there's some of you in here. I know it. And the other is a frequent flyer, Uncle John, who sleeps through turbulence 
Listen. Neither their little faith nor their big faith matters. But only the competence of the crew and the integrity of the aircraft. You see the point? It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about us. And so Paul's going to explain this to us in a small letter to a church struggling in a, in a town that's, be, that, that's dying. And they're struggling with false teachers that want to add to Jesus. And so let's take a quick look at the introduction of the book. Verse 1 of Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Paul is an apostle because God said, oh, Paul, wow, you like to travel, and you you seem like you could speak pretty well, and you're good looking. No, none of that. Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and if you want to know how that works, go read Acts 9, and you will see how Paul became Paul and how God made in Paul by the will of God. It's an amazing account and read it and then think about the implications of that as it relates to God's providence, his plan, his salvation, and his word. Write Acts 9 in your notes if you've got it and go and check that out and noodle on it. I challenge you to do that. Okay? Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy's here with me. We don't know whether Timothy was penning it um, and, and Paul was um, dictating it to him, but apparently they were together. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. To the saints. And so when you hear the word saint, what do you think of? What, what phrase do you most commonly associate with the word saint? It's a bit of a rhyme, and it's, I ain't no saint. You've heard it. People do something wrong? Well, I'm not a saint. Hmm. Meaning that you're not some amazing glorified person who has spent their lives feeding poor people in a country far, far away. And so we see another case of a word now associated with something that is completely the opposite of Paul's intent here. And if all you do today here is leave with a better understanding, when we see that, we need to understand what's happening. Great. In the Catholic Church, sainthood is the state of being a holy person who goes to heaven after they die. People can only achieve sainthood after they die. Paul is not writing to dead people. He's not. And this saint must show Christian virtues before and after offering their life They have to have a reputation for holiness, at least after their death. And they must have performed a miracle. That was news to me. I didn't realize they had to do a miracle. 
Okay? So this is why I've titled today's sermon, Mistaken Identity. The idea is you become a saint because of what you've done, and that is balderdash. Do we all know what that word means? Just false. According to the common understanding of the word, sainthood is about what you have done. Nothing could be further from the truth of what the Bible teaches. Paul calls the believers at the church at Colossae saints. The word saint, in case you're wondering, literally means holy ones, set-apart ones. All Christians are saints. All believers are holy ones before God because when God looks at us, who have put our trust in Christ and not ourselves, we have the righteousness, the holiness, we are set apart. God sees Jesus when we put our trust in him. And that is a mind-blowing truth. You will take your whole life to fully grasp. But God makes his people holy. And when I say that, he makes his people holy, what does that mean? It means he set them apart exclusively for his purposes. It's something he has done. And so calling ourselves saints, and when Paul calls the church at Colossae the Christian saints, is not meant to imply that we are better than anybody. That we have some greater sense of morality than the rest of the world. Though, sure, that should be a fruit of being God's people. Instead, we need to use that word to remind ourselves that we are not our own. When you hear saint, you do not think good person. You think person saved by Christ. It's, I, it's tragic. It's depressing a little bit to know that that word has now become a word that we just really don't want to use that much because it's probably a standard we can't attain to. No, it is a standard you can attain to. Put your trust in Christ and you're a saint. You're set apart for his purposes. We belong to God. And so we see how a word has changed and morphed into something that's almost opposite of its original intent. A saint is someone who is special because of the gospel, because of Jesus. And not only does Paul call us saints, but he calls us brothers. And I want to make sure we don't bypass that, but because God saves us and he makes us a family. He makes us a family. God doesn't just save us. He gives us a family. And if you were here for Ephesians, you saw Paul talk about how that family is put together and the beautiful nature of that family. And it's all God. It's all God. There's not an extra level of holiness reserved for a few that we would give a special title to. There isn't. G.I. Packer puts it this way and put it up there so you can see it. Holy people, glory, not in their holiness, but in Christ's cross. For the holiest saint is never more than a justified sinner and never sees himself in any other way. What's the natural result of understanding this? The natural result, if everyone in this room says, wow, Jesus, amazing what you've done for me. I'm going to reorient my life toward you. I want my identity to be you. We will be the most humble body you've ever seen. 
And yet we're not, because what do we do? We forget. We forget. And what do we forget? We forget that we are not special because we're great people. We are special because of the gospel. And so, musicians and singers, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, I want to, I want to let Paul close out today's sermon by his statement in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles and you want to go there, fine. But if you just want to listen, that's great. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. This is Paul saying, listen, if anybody on the planet has the ability to say, you know what, I should be a saint, Paul's saying, I should be a saint. He says, but I'm not. So listen to what he says. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love it. It sounds so not humble. It sounds so gutsy. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, check, of the tribe of Benjamin, check, check, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I am the man, until verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to know you. We want to know the power of your resurrection. The, res the power that gave life to Jesus crucified. We want to know that power. And so we confess, as a body here today, we confess that we truly believe that there's something good in us that made you go, oh, wow, him or her. Let me, let me save them. Lord, may, may, may we confess that. May we rid ourselves of that. May we be a people that is all about the gospel. It's all about the fact that you came to earth as a baby, went to the cross, and paid the penalty for our sin. We praise you for that fact. May it be everything to us. May we also have a new understanding of this word saint. May we just be a small light in the world to change people's thinking on how that word is used been set apart, been set apart for you, Lord, and we praise you for that fact. And even now as we sing together, may we do it in a way that honors you and brings glory to your son. In Jesus' name, amen.